Hi, I'm Oki, and welcome to Tell Me About Your Book. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Tell Me About Your Book. I'm so excited to talk to author Lucy Lyons because she has a cozy mystery and she also has done fantasy novels, which they're like two totally different genres. But I love the fact that she could do both, which is amazing. I want you guys to say hi to Lucy today. Hi, how are you? Hi, Oki. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great here. I'm good. Thank you so much. Where are you, Lucy? I'm based uh, near London and um, in Surrey, which is about 30 miles southwest of London. So we're out uh, in the countryside. It's very nice here. It's just started, the sun's just started shining for the first time since last October. So, of course, in, in Great Britain, we get very excited when the sun comes out. <laughs> I'm so surprised about that. I don't know what it is. I'm in Texas. I'm in Houston, Texas, and it's hot and hot all the time. So to hear that you're getting sunshine, I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's amazing, actually. Although um, I didn't say it was warm sunshine. It's only uh, 16, <laughs> 17 degrees centigrade here. I'm not sure what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's not <laughs> nothing like uh, Texas anyway. Right, the opposite, pretty much. But but we're here to talk about your books, and I'm really, really excited. The one that we want to talk about is called The Finding Machine. Can you just go ahead and tell me all about it? Absolutely. Well, my idea for this book came about because my two favourite things are superhero films and (laughs) people have special powers as well. And I wanted to write a book where there was a special superhero power, but I wanted to do it in my own way. And um, I wanted the main character to have a device with the power, unlike Superman who can fly or a Wonder Woman's wish stone, where if you have it, you can make any wish. I wanted something that was going to be that wouldn't seem quite so powerful at the beginning, but by the end you realise the amazing capabilities of this machine that she's inherited from her late father, Alex Martin. Ah. Oh, that's that's really neat. So Alex Martin being our main character, what does what are something she goes through throughout your novel besides you know, but not giving it away, of course. <laughs> no, nothing. So she the very first scene, the postman rings on the doorbell and hands her a parcel and um, it's from her late father who died five years before and she opens it to find a, a mysterious machine that he made back in the 1970s so the very first mystery of the book is what is this machine right. what did it do and why did her father build it and that's the first thing she has to solve before she can start on her other amazing adventures this is so great that it jump starts right away. I love when books start off already really mysterious and kind of fun. How was it writing Alex's character? Actually, semi-autobiographical because (laughs) (laughs) she starts off at the real low point in her life. She's getting on. She's 29 years old. She's stuck in a dead-end job. She's doing transcription. And Mm -hmm. one of the things about writing about the 90s is She's doing work that she could have done 10 years ago. The technology hasn't really changed. She's got an audio tape machine and she's transcribing from micro cassettes or faxes. Her housemate, Anthony, is a very handsome, lovely guy. He's going places with his web design business. So in the same house with the two renting together, 
She's uh-huh. stuck in a dead-end job. He's really going places. And in the 90s, this is exactly what was happening with graphic design, illustration. Uh, things were moving on. And if you could embrace the technology and move with it, you could make a fortune and you could really go places. And she can't see that. But the receiving of the machine kickstarts her life. And, and not, she not only has adventures, but she finds out about her family, her father, her past, and also about herself. And she grows as a character from that. I love how that progresses. And I love the fact that you wrote about the 90s. I always say the 90s are the best times for so many things with music, with the birth of technology. I mean, technology has been around, you know, when you're in the 90s. Yes. But just that that sprout of using our cell phone at the beginning of that or emails. What made you want to write about the 90s? What was it about that attraction? The same as as said? I love the 90s, just like you, Oki. I just think (laughs) such an exciting time. Uh, Towards the end of the 90s, there was so much just coming. And when you're reading the book, you know what's coming, but she doesn't know what's coming. Um, The internet doesn't have Amazon on it doesn't have Google's not around uh-huh. yet even YouTube's not there eBay's I think eBay is that's not even on it either Amazon's on it but they're just selling books so right. this is how just the beginning are. of things yeah. yeah but but if you stick with it everything's going to explode in the next year or so mobile phone technology of course this, she gets her first phone in this book and it's a brick, one of those bricks you carry around with a green screen. And no one's texting because they don't know it's fun yet. So you right. don't really use the phone for texting unless you want to say to someone, I'm not going to be there on time. That's it. It's really perfunctory. There's nothing exciting about texting it. And the games on the phones are really basic. You've got Snake. Um, oh, yeah. So one of the things her housemate, Anthony, says to her is, you know, don't go playing Snake on it because you'll use up the battery. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's lovely. A lot of people are very nostalgic for the 90s and they remember the phones they had, the big blocky block phones with a big antennae on top. And right. they remember that some people were using pagers back then. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there were fax machines, typewriters. People were still using typewriters. People were still using telex machines. And that's one technology I don't know anything about because I would always come into an office and they would have a telex number on the bottom of the card. And I, I never, <laughs> ever saw a telex. So it's a mis- that's a mystery to me. Thank you for getting me back to the 90s for a minute there. I think it that's so fascinating. I was... I was a teenager then and just, you know, thinking everything is so cool and it was so cool to have a cell phone and who was going to get a cell phone first. But going back to your book, how was it writing the adventure part of this book or just having to explore what Alex is going through? How was that? It was Great. It was there was a lot of uh, memories that came back to me about working as a temp in the nineties, where every job was different, every boss was different, every computer was different. Mm-hmm. So, from a technologically side of things, you'd go into an office and you wouldn't know what you were getting if you were getting a, a Apple Mac with a Word program which never worked properly, or <laughs> a DOS-based system. You didn't even have Windows. Some of people, some of the computers, they still didn't hadn't loaded uh, Windows on. So you, there was a program called WordPerfect 5.1, and it was on <laughs> green text on a black screen. So you didn't know what you were going to get when you printed it. This was a very exciting book to write because I was taking someone like me and pushing her out of her comfort zone so much that she was 
risking her life. She's uncovering the truth. She's helping people. And at the end of the day, she's making a real difference in a way she's never done before. And it's taken this machine to to drag her out, you know, explore her full potential. That's so interesting to me. Wow, this is so cool, Lizzie. <laughs> what made you want to approach this to into a cozy mystery versus kind of this adventure or si- kind of almost sci-fi? Yeah, you're right. Into this, right? What made um, you want to do that? I think it's a product of my strange mind. And the way <laughs> <laughs> I love reading everything. So I read hard-boiled detective novels. I read uh, thrillers, <laughs> crime. I love them all. And I wanted to write a humorous book that would um, have mysteries and crime in it, but I didn't want to get into the nitty gritty. Anything that happens, if it's a violent act or something, it's off the page, it's in the past. And I didn't want to get too serious about it because there are plenty of amazing writers who are doing the best types of um, thrillers and things. And I thought, no, I'm going to be honest to myself here. And this is exactly what I want to do. I want to blend a bit of magic with the science fiction, but I want it to be really authentically British and to place people back into the 90s if they were in Britain. But also one of the things I wanted to say to Yoki was there were a lot of influences coming over from your side of the woods. <laughs> getting a lot of musical influences from America. We were getting hip hop. We were getting loads of amazing American artists coming over and uh-huh. inspiring us. You were ahead with your technology. We wanted <laughs> we wanted satellite TV. We wanted more than four channels. Mm-hmm. And we were going to get them, but we were going to get them slower than you. And that's one of the things I also say in the book, because Anthony's quite influenced by what's going on in America. Gotcha. He's kind of like the the leader between him and Alex to opening her eyes, like this is going to happen or this is going to be changing. I love the fact that you have these two different characters kind of ping-ponging off each other. How was it writing the the counterpart to Alex with Anthony? Oh, he's brilliant. He's like a mental figure and he's also a romantic interest, but he's so handsome. He's so talented. <laughs> he's He's got all the jargon. He knows all the technology. He's the caution side. And when she wants to rush on, he's saying, you know, hey, hold on a minute. This isn't fun anymore. That This could be serious. You're not just finding a, a dog anymore. You're finding someone who's gone missing or you're solving a case that dates back to the 20s and the police couldn't solve it. What makes you think you can solve it? And should you solve it? Should you sometimes just leave things be? If mm-hmm. if, if they're in the past, your father's no longer with us, should we really do this? What good what good's going to come of it? And of course, she's quite headstrong. She thinks, well, you know, we've got to find out what happens. It's really important and we can we can find out what happened and then I'll know why why my father built the machine and, and let's solve this mystery together. I can totally see this as like a mini series and really getting to know Alex really well. I I'm really enjoying hearing about this. Are you done with Alex character? Are you done with the finding machine? I feel like I can get this beyond this first book. What are some plans? <laughs> this this book set in 1998, and the sequel I am actually working on at the moment is 1999. Ooh. And the really one thing that everybody remembers about 1999, of course, 
was the millennium. Right, the scare of the Y2K, I remember. Exactly, Y2K, (laughs) the millennium bug. And it was fascinating because it was taken really, really seriously. And and people might not remember it because they think, oh, well, it was all right and nothing really happened. Lots of stuff actually did happen. And certainly the police force over here, they took it very, very seriously. Mm. And the thing with the millennium bug was it affected uh, clocks and not just clocks, but uh, computers everywhere. And not just your, you know, computers as you see a computer, but chips in alarm systems and national health records and your driving license and your birth certificates and everything has a a date in it or a clock in it. And, of course, the finding machine's got clocks in it. So it's going to – how is it going to affect that? Is it going to pack up? You know, does it need to be fixed? So that's another, that's what I'm looking at at the moment. And also, I don't want to give too much away, but it, it's, um, we've got some more cold cases to be solved, more historical cases, and some cases um, in Birmingham, because she moves to Birmingham with Anthony, and cases that they solve together. Oh, so sorry, she goes off and she solves them on her own, and of course, usually gets into a lot of trouble. Of course. And that's the fun part of reading something like this. I always joke around of authors plan out all these twists and turns and then we read it in in two days and we're like we need more of this and you guys are like wait that was the year of my life <laughs> I, I took all this time to make this happen and we're like I read it in two days I'm ready can you can you go ahead and get the next one <laughs> <Yeah>. out please <laughs> um have you always known that you wanted to do more than one book about the finding machine about Alex no, uh, what happened was I wrote the book and I thought, right, let's just see if it, if anyone likes it. And um, <laughs> I was really taken aback by the positive reaction to it because I thought, well, it is a bit unusual. It's it's not just a cosy mystery. It's got a bit right. of science fiction and people might, aren't, might not be sure what to make of it. But astonishingly, everyone seems to have embraced it. Like you don't have to work hard to get into this concept. Once you've got the concept of the finding machine, it's the rest is just like a it's a it's a it's a normal mystery thriller adventure. You're going mm. on that, and it, it, there's no difficulties there at all. And I try to explain things really easily so that we can just get on with that and then move on. Let's get on with the story. So my readership's been really interesting because I, I kind of I don't know I thought more women would read it with a female protagonist, but it's not been the case at all. It's been 50-50 of men and women. And my age and age range as well, from 11 to 78, the youngest and oldest readers that I know about. Oh, so, wow. it's, so it's a universally readable book, I would say. It definitely sounds like that. I love the fact that you said, let me just explain this part and move on. Yeah. Because it's such an adventure, such a thrilling ride that I just need this to keep it going and to keep my interest. I like I like that instead of like an extra four or five pages of Hot some science. research that I right. I mean, yeah. a lot of times those are entertaining and fun to read, but a book like this, I just wanted to keep the thrill ride going and going. This is fascinating. What else can you tell me about you as an author, Lucy? Interestingly, I. I wrote my first book very young. I was encouraged by my English teacher at school and she was a really uh, an inspiring individual, an early feminist. She was very keen on women standing up for themselves and being independent, getting a career. But she was I also really traditional. She, she was a woman <laughs> for marriage and, 
And and so there was that was quite an interesting thing. But she uh, met Tolkien. She was at Oxford with Tolkien. Oh, and cool. So she was mad on um, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and she encouraged us all to read them. So that's one of the reasons I went into writing fantasy, first of all. And basically, I wrote my first book on a typewriter, and it was a rehash of every fantasy book I'd ever read, <laughs> but done really badly. So um, that <laughs> is always the way with your first book. And you put that right. upstairs in the loft and you hide it. And over <laughs> the years, I kept writing books and sending them off to publishers and getting better rejections as the years went on. I just, I couldn't see the wood for the trees. I should have known this is what I should be doing. But now I was like Alex Martin in the book. I was doing my temp work and my typing and I trained as an illustrator. So I was trying to make it as an editorial illustrator. But in the 90s, of course, this is when computers were starting to be used for image manipulation through photo. Right. So that industry was kind of dying. And so I was finding it hard to get work. So I was temping. And I should really have just said, right, I'm going to write seriously. And this is what I should be doing. It took me 20 years to think, right, I'm actually going to seriously write now and put everything else aside because this is what I love the most. This is what gives me the most pleasure. And it's only really recently that I've decided to, to really go for it. So, yeah. I'm glad that you you are going for it because The Finding Machine is such a fascinating and interesting book. There's so many elements to this book with the mystery, with the sci-fi and the relationship between Alex and Anthony. I am absolutely in for this this book. This is so cool. <laughs> Thank you. Since you've written fantasy, but you're working on The Finding Machine a lot now, are you wanting to shift back into fantasy a little bit, maybe later on? Have you kind of dabbled in that little area? Yeah, interestingly, I've got two fantasy books out on submission at the moment. So they're really, I'm really proud of those books. Um, Very different in style, quite dark, epic fantasy, which is what I really like. And I do really want to go back to that because I've got, this is the thing, I've got lots of ideas for books and I could just come up with a hundred ideas for books, but I've decided I'm sticking with the finding machine. We're going through the years one at a time and there's no end of scenarios here with this finding machine because as I've mentioned, we've got the millennium bug, we've got cold cases galore. (laughs) Maybe, you know, interest from other agencies who also want the finding machine. And at the time you've got Soviet Russia, you've got China, you've got uh, the Middle East, you know, all of these agencies that Ireland, Northern Ireland, they'd all love to have the finding machine. So that could also create another scenario for another book down the line. And with the fantasy book, I've also got a series of chronicles happening. And that's much more magic, but also quite low key. I like a low magic environment with both my books where the magical item is just a very small aspect of it. What's most important is that you're you're rooting for the character. You want them to succeed. And generally, I like my characters to be quite underpowered and not really not strong in that way. I want them to have to really struggle to get the result that you're looking for as a right. reader. I like that we get to go along with the ride, kind of like yeah. learning through different things with the character instead of just everything just magically appears and they know everything already I like that they you can read the struggles because then we stick with it instead of you know just kind of washing over it but this is so fascinating it's also you know how how is she going to get out of this how how is she going to explain this 
because you can't go around saying, look, I've got a filing machine. No one's going yeah. to believe you and they're going to suspect you if you know things that the police don't know or other right. people don't know. They're, suspicion's going to fall on you. So that's the other issue she's got is not just straightforward finding things. Then she has to explain herself and that's quite tricky too and that starts to draw an interest from uh, the police. Do you have any publishing stories to tell us, especially with the finding machine? How is the publishing? Yeah, so with this book, I decided to self-publish it. And so that was learning everything from scratch. And it's a huge, huge world out there. Luckily for all of us indie authors, there is a massive support network. So I have had so much help and support from the communities online that help each other to sort of navigate all the endless possibilities because you can do anything you want with it but you need to stay in budget and make sure you've got the right cover and that you're marketing the book correctly and doing things like that so I made a lot of mistakes but I've learned a lot so hopefully with the sequel uh, things will go more smoothly when I when I come when I'm ready to publish but I'm not there (laughs) I hope you come back to talk to me when you get your sequel out because I definitely want to know what Y2K stuff Mm. she will have to deal with at that point. Do you have any tips in the self-publishing arena that maybe some of the listeners would love to hear? Absolutely. I mean, one thing is to join a uh, critiquing website where other people can look at your work and then you can look at other people's work. So one of the best ways of improving writing, and I have really improved, was joining an online community of fellow writers all around the world. And um, I, I will look at their work and then they look at mine and they're not invested in it. It's not like giving it to mum or dad or your sister. And a lot of people, <laughs> they're not actually that interested in your writing. Strangely, <laughs> they love you as a person, but um, right. you find people who love that type of book that you're reading. So that's one tip. And to get it as good as you possibly can get it. And then again, just ask for advice for everything. If you have any questions, there's people out there who really want to help you and they're very generous with their time. And if you go online, you can find lots of podcasts and YouTube videos about how to go about doing things. And if you're on a budget, how can I do it without spending too much money? Because you can, you can, you could sell your house and put it towards absolutely (laughs) you could also do it on a budget so I would say become part of the communities and engage and you're going to get loads back and you're get going to get support as well and when things aren't going so well sometimes you need a shoulder to cry on don't you ah I honestly been always been a big supporter in the indie author anything relating to that because I feel like indie authors are pretty much they're the best when it comes to the passion for the work you know, you have to be your own advocate for your own work. This is why I do this show, because I think this is amazing, amazing stuff. So, Lucy, where can we get your book? Oh, wonderful. Well, you can get my book, The Finding Machine. It's on Amazon. It's also online. It's on Kobo. It's on Barnes & Noble. It's on Waterstones Online. It's on Smashwords. It's generally everywhere out there. I've also got a website, which is lucylyonswrites.com. And on Instagram and Facebook, I'm also as Lucy Lyons Writes. So you can find me there. I'd love you to follow me. I really like engaging with readers and fellow writers um, they're my favourite types of people. We always have lots to talk about, especially if you like the 90s. <laughs> so, yes, please, please have a look at uh, the book and contact me if you've got any questions or you want to have a conversation. 
I definitely have so many more fun things I want to talk about, especially about the 90s stuff. But we do have to close this out at some point. But I want to say thank you, Lucy, for coming by today and talking to me about this amazing work and really unique storyline that you have here. Any last minute thing you want to say before we go today? Well, I want to say thank you so much to you, Opie, because you're one of the reasons that you're one of the great support networks. You're really helping us in the authors. And (laughs) that means a lot. And that's one of the brilliant, heartwarming things about, you know, you think you're doing it on your own. Actually, um, you're not doing it completely on your own. So thank you very, very much. Ah, Thank you for saying that. That makes me so happy to hear. And another thing that I love about indie authors, especially in the community, especially like bookstagrammers or even online forums that you're talking about, that even though we're in this all together like this, you know, you're racing against other people as well because we want your books to be higher in the ranking or popular and things like that. There's not this cynical jealousy way of going through this. I don't see people tearing each other down just because so-and-so has more sales than the other person. Everyone just is so supportive and so so willing to help with anything, which I think it's an amazing network. Absolutely. I Yeah, I, exactly. So we, yeah, I'll, I'll often promote other authors and their books and sometimes they'll promote me and it works. It, it exposes you to another readership and then they, your other readers get to see someone else and you rate their work and you think well if you like my book you probably write this other author because it's on a similar trajectory and it's a great book yeah and me being a reader I I will take full advantage of of being (laughs) exposed to everybody but thank you for today thank you for talking to me about your book and I hope I get to talk to you again when your sequel comes out and because I want to know more about Alex and Anthony and and everything 90s. So I will talk to you next time, Lucy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Oki. It's been a pleasure. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tell Me About Your Book. Please continue to support indie authors and indie bookstores. And if you would love to support Tell Me About Your Book podcast, you can certainly do so by going to buymeacoffee.com slash tell me podcast for a price of a coffee you can support monthly for just five dollars there's other tiers too in the memberships and you can look at all the info about it and i would certainly certainly appreciate it and of course there's the other podcast books cats and snacks where caddy and i talk all things book and about her cats too see you then